dumb fun. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast with Andy and Steph. Wow, Steph, hello. Welcome in. Hello. I almost didn't hear you over the sound of that like persistent hi-hat that's just been like driving my brain forward for the last 48 hours. That's in the background of every song in Dreamgirls? Yeah, particularly like the stressful ones. It's very effective. I want to make sure I got this right, by the way. I'm very excited because you told me that we are um, studying this week the... the We usually do musicals, but this week we're um, taking apart the Manic Pixie Dreamgirl. Is that right? <laughs> so I, I watched Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. I watched Garden State. I'm so excited to talk about this this week. Uh, Devastating. No. What? What, We're talking about the that? movie, the movie musical Dreamgirls, the smash hit oh. of 2006. Ugh, okay, well, thank God I've seen that three times. So <laughs> I w- I'm still in a good place to talk about it. Uh, Stephanie, anything else we need to cover before we get right into this? The 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 listener has uh, 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 been uh, supporting us through our last few episodes. We've been back in season two. We we greatly appreciate that. We always want to drive people to uh, to our Patreon where they can support us more at patreon.com slash dumb fun. And that just allows us to uh, put... And also, my, my constant promise still out there, if we just get to 100 subscribers... An episode of this podcast every week. That's that's my that's my promise. One hundred subscribers, we go weekly. But as it is, you um, broke sons of bitches can keep waiting two weeks for an episode <laughs> of this because we watched uh, Dreamgirls this week, Steph. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I'm sort of just like there's there's a couple shots in Dreamgirls where it's like the three or four of them on stage and um, there's like glitter in the air around them that's sort of like how i feel (laughs) after Mm -hmm. watching this movie like it just feels like um everything's like a little bit like shiny with possibility shiny like uh (laughs) like jimmy's jacket this uh this this movie has glitter in the air i feel like in every shot Uh, yeah it's feel like it's i feel like if you're looking for it there's glitter in every shot of this movie (laughs) (laughs) wait andy so do you fucks with dream girls I, historically, I have fucked with Dreamgirls uh, in that I, uh, so I, I think much like a lot of people, I, I, I did not see this in theaters. In fact, I'll, I'll own up to this. The first time I ever was exposed to any of the material of Dreamgirls was when Jake Gyllenhaal hosted Saturday Night Live in 2007. <laughs> and in his monologue did a pretty formidable cover of And I Am Telling You. Uh, and uh, I... I do think the listeners should search that out after you've watched yeah, this movie. We did. Listen, I, listen I did get the privilege of seeing that for the first time about um, an hour ago, and it was very special. Mm-hmm. Also, like, and a I great don't... costume change. Yeah, People don't yeah, give yeah, enough quick credit change. to quick changes. Um, but so I, I then, I think, went and rented this movie. Uh, that's that's what we used to do stuff back in the day. You remember that? We'd have to uh-huh. go to a physical location, uh, ask someone behind the counter, please let me have this for three days. And uh, they would give it to us. And uh, and so I rented this movie. And then I like liked it enough to, I think I bought it and I owned it. Um, and then did I ever watch it again until we watched <laughs> it for this podcast? I don't think I did. I mean, that was pretty much, I've, I've always like, like this movie, but I have not watched it since I watched it for the first time for this podcast. Uh, Interesting. That, that's pretty much it for me. What about you, Steph? So there's a great moment in that, like, that nine episode show Glee, 
You know that one that they canceled after half a season? Um, there's this great <laughs> moment where Amber Riley has to audition for... Ooh, sorry, a bunch of boxes just fell on me. Steph is uh, um, recording from her house on the street corner, <laughs> which is uh, made um, of boxes. Sturdy boxes. I learned the I learned how to make them in Animal Crossing. Um, <laughs> so okay, so Amber Riley has to audition for regionals, and uh, it's TV logic, so they don't like have to rehearse anything. And she just like walks up and goes to the piano player and says, "Do I even have to tell you what song?" And yeah. then like, there's a perfect end. I'm telling you, and yeah. that is to say that like this music has this musical has like existed ephemerally for me because it is the musical where that song is from (laughs) and like where jennifer holiday like that her version of it is just sort of like really permeated um and then when the breakaway pop hit for sure yeah 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 and um when the movie came out in 2006 2007 i was uh in school at uw madison and like didn't have access to a movie theater <laughs> because so. they closed the one that was close and I couldn't. So I, there's just like this chunk of time where I didn't get to go see movies. Um, but my Most Wisconsin shit, by the way, I didn't have access <laughs> to the movie theater because they closed the one. Well, yeah. Usually um, I'd go and put a nickel into the coin slot and they'd play I had a to walk movie through for the me. Blizzard to see. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so my so my cousin had an Oscar party that I went to and um and that year and so I saw their performance and I saw Jennifer Hudson win and I was like oh fuck like it's not only did they make that movie but like they did it really well apparently um and then like at some point the DVD just like appeared in my parents house you know how like sometimes Uh there's just like stuff around um and I watched it and loved it but then sort of like you were saying like I haven't revisited it since in like a significant way other than when um what's his name Titus from um Kimmy Schmidt and others his name is you're not gonna believe this Titus no but he's got a full name oh well yeah (laughs) but his real name is also Titus though Uh, (laughs) well he did a really great um thing they do like this broadway um backwards i think they call it where they do like gender bendy casting and it's a fundraiser um and he did a really great anyway there have been like moments that it's come up but it hasn't like stuck with me as a movie and then we rewatched it for this and um i couch your thoughts couch your thoughts well okay don't couch your thoughts (laughs) well yeah okay spoiler alert but like i want to talk about I think it's really interesting that that also happened to you because I think that so yeah. much of this movie is like for adults. And so yeah. I'm realizing that some of the problem is that like I watched it and I was like a little 21 year old twerp who like didn't care about like owning your responsibility or like having accountability or like any of that was like not I didn't have a good relationship to it at the at the yeah. time. And um so it's been really fun to come back to it. Well, so it's a movie about girl groups from the 60s and it's put up in 1981, which means like, yeah, these are this this is a like four people in their 30s basically even in, even in 1981. It's for people who lived yeah. through the girl oh, groups and now yeah. are like yeah. looking back on it, you know. 
Just yeah. like, you know, in the in the 90s, everything was about the 70s. And just like now everything is about the aughts. Like everything's oh always about 20 years ago. If they try know? to make me wear low cut, low rise jeans, <laughs> I'm not. We did that shit. I'm done. I don't know. Uh, I'm listening. <laughs> well, but I also. So when Andy and I started talking about doing this podcast, I was working at Northwestern and one of my colleagues, one of my beloved colleagues was like, hey, you got to have me on to talk about dream girls. Like literally before we started recording, that was like it was number one. And so I want to bring her in. Is that OK? Um, yeah, that's right. We have one one guest today, Steph. Yeah. Is our first ever single guest episode. You know, um, let's talk about it, but let's bring her in and let's talk about it. All right. Uh, all right. So Ashley Wade is an entrepreneur from the Chicagoland area. She's currently getting her yogi certification, and you should just be on the lookout for her to be open in a studio, um, a space, a performance space, because she's going to do big things. Hi, Ashley. Welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you for being here. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I guess, uh, also, we'll get into your relationship with, with Dream Girls, but let me just mention real quickly that we did, we had a, a comedian guest for this episode who sort of fell through, mm-hmm. and uh, we thought, let's just go for it. Let's just fucking do it with mm-hmm. Ashley. Let's just roll through. Really, I can do both it's, parts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you, and you were telling us before you started, you do have a, um, a history in theater. What was that again? Yeah, so it was fifth grade and my uh, theater class was, or my drama class at the time was called, was putting on a uh, play for The Lion King. I really feel like I annoy everybody. If you ever watched Lion King with me, because I know every word, every breath, every step, everything. And, you know, I think that's when I first fell in love with it personally, as far as just Uh like, you know, drama, theater, musicals, stuff like that. But I think, honestly, it's... um, something from my mom she loves that type of stuff she always takes me oh, to really? like the ballet and stuff like that when I was a kid so yeah I, I love it I think it's amazing so you told us before that you were the stage manager in Lion King was that devastating like you know every word and every step and you want to be performing <laughs> honestly so I cannot hold a tone even a little bit <laughs> okay I don't think that that should be disqualifying but okay <laughs> I would like sing a song to my family and they're like, I know the song you're singing, but it does not sound like that at all. So like, <laughs> let me play it for you. But uh-huh. still, I, I don't know. I loved it. I loved, and I still do to a degree, love like being in charge and like having like the responsibility and kind of seeing things through and pushing things forward. So I think that was kind of like the first taste of that. You didn't like ask for this, but yeah, I like we met professionally and yeah. like, Hey, everyone out there, you want Ashley planning your shit. <laughs> I love that story, too, because sta- the stage manager in a play is basically the person who's, like, to the audience, like, let me just play it for you. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was your job. Yeah. yeah. Like, did you get that? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that. Well, uh, can you tell us about your relationship to 2006's Dream Girls? Oh, my gosh. When I tell y'all, stuff is so right to say. I was like, when you get to Dreamgirls, let me know. Because that uh-huh. is my absolute favorite movie, favorite musical, everything. Um, another movie I would probably say I know every word and every breath to. And it's something that um, me and my my mom, my sister watch all the time. We honestly just took a trip to Kansas City, like, last, I think it was May or something. And no, no, it was, it was uh, 4th of July. My whole family went to Kansas City. And we had this big Airbnb with, like, a theater room. 
and like the attic. And we were up there singing, screaming, all the songs to Dream Girls. (laughs) My uh, brother in law came up there with us, and I was surprised that he was able to like sustain like being up there (laughs) with us that long because that's how much we, you know, love the movie. We watch it pretty often, to be honest. And sometimes we might just bust out into song with each other and I think you know it's just it's it is sort of like an ingrained like you know how some families have like certain movies that you just know you know what I mean you just mm-hmm. you can say the lines to each other and you don't need to preference it with anything like that's yeah. one of those movies for us um everybody loves I am telling you and I love it too but the scene before that is the most craziest, best thing ever. Like sometimes I just look it up on YouTube just to like sing all the different parts. So and you're you're talking about the scene where she is being confronted by everybody about her behavior yes. right before she sings. I <laughs> right before she sings, I'm telling you, and she can't believe it. And then everybody jumps in and she battles every single character, even her brother, who was like she couldn't believe he was on their side too. And they're all just like cut your losses. You're causing us too much trouble and. I could go on and on, so tell me when to like take a breath. But here, yeah, we'll, we'll get in. I, I can't wait. We're gonna get into the specifics because there's a lot. Of, Effie, Effie really takes it hard in this movie. I think. Yeah, but, she does. But let's. So I'm. I'm gonna back us up a little bit. I'm gonna back us all the way up to the the creation of Dreamgirls. Is that good? Are we good? Are we good to yeah. go over there? All yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So the year is 1975, and playwright Tom Ian and conductor Henry Krieger. They first worked together, putting together a musical version of a play that Ian wrote called The Dirtiest Show in Town. And one of the stars of that musical is Nell Carter, who I know from the shows Give Me a Break and Hanging with Mr. Cooper because I'm old and my back hurts. Um, (laughs) But her performance in this other musical inspires Ian and Krieger to craft a musical about Black backup singers, which was originally called One Night Only, and then given the working title of Project Number Nine. And Nell Carter is then joined by Cheryl Lee Ralph, the recent Emmy winner, as well as Loretta Devine, who's in this movie, uh, as the other dreams. And then it's shelved when Nell Carter leaves to be in the soap opera Ryan's Hope in 1978. So it's still not on stage yet. And when it comes back up in the next few years, they bring in 20-year-old gospel singer Jennifer Holliday as Effie to replace Nell Carter and, the, and I just mentioned that this is a wild story. So then Jennifer Holiday leaves because she has some problems with the material, including that Effie dies at the beginning of the first act at that point. Do you guys know that? No. What the fuck? I knew, I knew some of it. I, I didn't know why she left, but I knew it was some point where she had like dropped out of it. Yeah. And then yeah. The, this is my, they, they get her to come back. And this is so funny to me because it's the plot of the movie. But she, she, and then she gets mad because the new script is way Dina centric. And so she leaves again. <laughs> so she leaves for a second time and is brought back for the third time after the writers tell her that they'll build up Effie in the second act. And so it finally opens on Broadway in 1981. It's on Broadway for a four year run. It's going to win six Tonys. Jennifer Holiday is going to win a Tony for playing Effie. And her recording of I, And I'm Telling You is a number one hit on the Billboard R&B charts. And she wins a Grammy for Best Vocal Performance. So just a reminder, she quit the play twice and then got halfway to an EGOT once she got on board. Well, that's wild to me. Wow. The part that I had like learned about that, I was listening to Jennifer Lewis's book. and She's like the mm-hmm. Black Mother of Hollywood. <laughs> and um, her book, which is honestly so amazing, and she has an audio book, which is just obviously it's read by her, so it makes it like even better. And she talks about Trim Girls a lot because she was like helping to create the script. And this is like, 
I think she was there before Jennifer Holliday and then they brought her in and then they ended up dropping Jennifer Lewis. So she doesn't have any like credit technically for right. like helping move the script for and all that stuff. So that was, and I just like listened to that last year. So I was like, yeah, I love this movie and I had no idea about any of this kind of like dramatic background. Of it, yeah. She, which makes sense. Like you said. <laughs> they, well, so they bring her in the first time that, that uh, uh, Jennifer Holliday leaves, they bring in Jennifer Lewis. I, I, the only reason I didn't bring that part up is because I was confusing myself with all the Jennifers. I know, but, same. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so, so then music producer David Geffen, who financed the play to begin with, he leases the film rights to Warner Brothers in the 80s, and it's, it's being concocted for years. In 1987, Geffen is working with Howard Ashman, who's the lyricist, lyricist, right? Isn't he there? Or is he the composer? Between, uh, with uh, Minkin and Ashman, who wrote Little Mermaid, Little Shop of Horrors, He's other things lyricist. that don't start with Little. Um, so yeah, so Geffen's working with Howard Ashman to make it a star vehicle in 1987 for Whitney Houston. And um, that falls apart when, and I swear to God, this is true, Whitney Houston doesn't under- understand why she can't sing Dina's and Effie's songs. She she wants she wants to be Dina, but she also wants to do And I Am Telling You. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a point in the early 90s where Spike Lee wants to make the movie with Jasmine Guy as Dina. Uh, and then in 1994, the Batman Forever director, Joel Schumacher, is given the project, and he cast Lauren Hill as Dina, which is funny to me because Lauren Hill personality wise could not be more of an Effie like <laughs> in terms of like is she gonna be like combative will will she maybe not be there when it's time to do the show like uh-huh. Lauren Hill and and also just like in terms of like attitude that she's presenting like that's all Effie you know what I mean yeah Effie's all confidence I yeah. don't know how Lauren Hill could like tamp that down enough to be Dina but like, she also doesn't really give me that dream girls vibe but I could be wrong yeah yeah I would have to see it I don't know yeah. Um, I wonder if there's like a, an audition tape somewhere that they made where they like had like right. a little proof of concept. Like a screen test where she's that. doing the steps or something. Yeah. I bet that'd be good. So Chicago comes out in 2002 and that sort of ignites the musical assaults of the aughts, right? And Bill Condon, who wrote Chicago, he kind of gets a golden ticket to do whatever he wants. And his dream is to make a Dream Girls film. And David Geffen, who at this point has his own film company, as a reminder, he is the G in DreamWorks SKG. It's uh, Spielberg, Katzenberg, and uh, Geffen. And so he is. So he just says, we're just going to make this movie at DreamWorks, and Paramount comes along with them after Warner Brothers backs out due to budget concerns. The final budget is $75 million, which is, I believe, still the highest budget for an all-black cast, uh, a movie with an all-black cast. Um, so here's speaking of the cast, this is this is how casting goes. Jamie Foxx and Eddie Murphy are the first two actors they go after, and Eddie Murphy signs on right away, but Jamie Foxx, who could not be fresher off of his Oscar, says, Pay me. And so they move on. And then Condon wants three unknowns cast as the dreams, but Beyonce lobbies for Dina and has a great screen test. And then once Beyonce is cast, literally Jamie Foxx turns around and says, Hey, actually that money is fine. When do I get to meet Beyonce? I would. Somewhere in my notes, I was like, yeah, Jamie Foxx is here. He gets to make out with Beyonce. Of course he's here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Cece is offered to both Usher and Andre 3000. Oh, yeah. I know. And Omarion is considered as well before they get Keith Robinson to do it. 
Uh, Anika Rose, who already has a Tony at this point, gets L'Oreal after an extensive audition process. And because she's 5'2", she has to do the whole movie in like four to six inch heels so she doesn't fuck up every shot she's in with her seven foot co-stars, Beyonce and Jennifer Hudson. 783 people audition for the role of Effie, including Fantasia, Raven Simone, Retta, and Yvette Nicole Brown, who's in this movie. Uh, Jennifer Hudson nabs it, and in one-on-one rehearsals with Bill Condon, Condon tells her she is required to be rude on the set, and she is required to be late to the set every day. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Which is awesome. That's my dream job. (laughs) She's also required to gain 20 pounds for the role. Jeez. I, we don't have to have this whole conversation, but like, a moment for the 20 years that we have now to look back on Jennifer Hudson in 2006 and be like, hey, you just look like a whole regular ass person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like, I in my memory, she is like one of the many faces of like the terrible fat shaming of the, she's like the recipient of one of the many, of all the terrible fat shaming of the 2000s. And like, goddamn, she looks hot in this movie. Like, what are we? She looks normal. Yeah. 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 We were insane. I was going to say, I think also Beyonce was told to lose a good amount of weight for that movie as well. I think probably to make them look super opposite of each other, you know? Sure, so yeah, Beyonce, yeah. what she does is for, for the scenes in the 70s, she loses 20 pounds. She mm-hmm. goes on what they call the master cleanse, which is where you is just the eat cayenne like, pepper syrup and, yeah, and cayenne pepper and lemon juice. Yeah. Oh, and no. so she straight up, Beyonce loses 20 pounds for the second half of this movie. Yeah. Which it's is crazy. wild. Okay, I want to talk about the promotion of this movie, because they did some wild things to promote this movie. First of all, they did this really old school thing called roadshow engagements, where they showed it for 10 days in New York, San Francisco, and LA at only one theater in each city. And you paid $25, you got a 48-page program and a poster. And keep in mind, this is 2006, and movies don't actually cost $25 like they do now. That's actually a very high price to go see a movie in in 2006. They could have asked more. (laughs) I know, but uh, yeah, it's the first movie to do a roadshow engagement like this since 1972. And then they do this thing that I love, which is uh, DreamWorks announces that they will pay the licensing fees for all non-professional stage performances of Dreamgirls for the calendar year of 2006. So in other words, if, you, yeah. if you're a high school, a community center, wherever you are, and you want to do Dreamgirls, they paid for the license fee- licensing fees. And it, overall, they, it cost them $250,000 in subsidizing the licensing. And as a result, more than 50 high schools, colleges, community theaters, and other non-commercial theater entities staged productions of Dreamgirls in 2006. And it well, drums amazing. up a lot of publicity for them. Well, so the movie goes on to gross $155 million worldwide. It gets eight nominations at the 2007 Oscars, but it becomes the first movie in Oscars history to get the most nominations for the year, but not be nominated for Best Picture. Mm. even though it won the golden globe for best picture musical or comedy which is a bullshit category i'll say that to to lump musical and comedy together i've always thought that was weird um i've never said this on the podcast but musical or comedy was one of the original uh names i pitched for for this podcast (laughs) i forgot about that so the here these are the nominations that it gets at the oscars and by the way this is our oscars episode i'm gonna go ahead and uh lump that in right now uh, because this is our last episode before the Oscars come out Um, but these these are the nominations that it gets Jennifer Hudson for supporting Eddie Murphy for supporting best sound mixing costume design art direction and then three nominations for best original song with listen love you I do and patience and all three songs lose to the classic say it with me 
I need to wake up by Melissa Etheridge from An Inconvenient Truth. We all remember <laughs> We all remember that hot song. But Jennifer Hudson, of course, wins, and they win for uh, sound mixing on this movie. Uh, and then the last thing I have here is that this movie kind of got one more Oscar nomination in 2022, uh, when Effie singing And I Am Telling You was nominated for the hashtag Oscars cheer moment, a thing they did where Twitter picked a winner for the best cheer mo- moment from the, these were the other nominees, uh, the Spider-Man team up in Spider-Man No Way Home, the Avengers Assemble from Avengers Endgame, Neo dodging bullets in the Matrix, and so obviously Jennifer Hudson singing fits right in with these. Uh, and of course, the thing that won, again, you, we can all say it together at the same time, the Flash entering the Speed Force in Justice League, the Zack Snyder cut. No. Wrong. <laughs> Those are I all in category? Yeah, this was the Oscars cheer moment category that they made up for 2022. And well, so context is key. This is 2022, and it's when all the Zack Snyder fanboys were like out in full force because they were mad that his Justice League didn't get you know, release and that he was getting fired from DC. And so they retaliated by giving these Oscar, like, Twitter gets to vote things both to Zack Snyder. He also won, like, Land of the Dead, which is a movie he did that year, also won a a Twitter award from the Oscars. I do want to point out that what that category does is, like, lump together, in the one hand, like, the biggest budget, most CGI fan service i guess a little bit but like like the most resources that you can throw at something and then jennifer hudson alone on a stage (laughs) and and it's also too like they're like let's throw something to the women for this category sure yeah yeah yeah. and i but and also they're wrong like she in terms of like a cheer moment that moment is more of a cheer moment than any of those other moments i feel like that's the moment you start seeing Effie as like because I think there's more than one protagonist and antagonist in, in mm-hmm. Dreamgirls. But I also think that that's when you start to see her when your feelings about her may start to change. I don't uh-huh. know about other people, but I'm kinda like, damn, like y'all just gonna do Effie like that? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's yeah. like that's how I feel. Like I'm on her side more so. I'm more so feeling like that. When she's singing, I'm telling you, I feel like that's like the pivotal like change in the movie, kind of, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that starts for me during Family Tree, when essentially all of her friends gaslight her into thinking that this plan mm-hmm. is okay. Yeah. I mean, it, that that is like the most, uh, not, not uncomfortable necessarily, but like intentionally uncomfortable that mm-hmm. I feel during mm-hmm. the whole movie, because uh, she's voicing all these correct concerns that she should be the lead. Also, I mean, we're sort of getting into it at this point, but... Um, I do want to talk about how funny it is that they're like, but she can't be the lead singer. And then the camera cuts to Beyonce. Right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like Steph said that it's like the version of the joke in Barbie where, you know, Helen Mirren as the narrator is like, maybe you should have someone other than Margot Robbie if you want to do this joke. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's still, but anyway, so like she's correct about all these feelings. And then I don't know how we're supposed to feel when everyone sort of tells her, no, we're a family. We're all going to do this together. Just do this thing that you hate and don't believe in because we're a family. I feel like that probably hits home with a lot of people. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot of people do things out of obligation for their family mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Yeah. really don't want to. So I don't, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I think in that moment, I, I did feel those like kind of warm and fuzzy feelings that they wanted you to feel. Yeah. Like, oh, they're yeah. a family. Like she just has to keep pushing through. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, they're like, yeah. And like, ousting her. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like that that idea that like we're a family, we'll support you. You're like you don't want to do this, but like we know that, and like we'll still be there after, and we'll still help you. And like we need this from you right now, but then later you'll need something from. And, like there's like a give and take of relationships, and so mm-hmm. like in that first moment, like we want to have that warm fuzzy give and take of relationships, but it's like truly. 10 minutes later that they're just like oh no 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 you were just saying that to use her to get her voice in your backup so i mean when it happened last night i I told steph i was like i don't know how she doesn't swing on all of them when Mm -hmm. they start crowding her and telling her that they're they're her family it's wild to me i i I was so mad on her behalf at that Mm -hmm. point in the movie Mm -hmm. uh ashley you also touched on something that i really do that I, i planned on talking about for this podcast which is who is the main character of dream girls and you say you think there's multiple protagonists i do i do i i definitely think so just kind of watching it back and there's so many different themes to dream girls so i was thinking about that this morning um just going over what i thought about the movie and i mean at some point jenny fox's character i think is becomes like the antagonist although at the beginning you're like oh he's really working hard for the girls he's doing anything even like step up to the bad side even though he was like Mm -hmm. maybe technically doing something that was a bit shady he was doing it for like a good cause in your eyes as a movie watcher. At least I'll speak yeah. for myself. He's also the the first person you see. Yeah, you know he's, what I'm saying. He's he like believes the in you them. See he that, protects like, them. Puts yeah. everything together. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. all of that. So I think it, it's interesting how a lot of their characters switch. So he switches from protagonist to antagonist, and then you have Beyonce, who I mean, not to mention she's Beyonce, so you already love her. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. then. So you kind of have that in the background. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But first, she's kind of like the sweet, like almost even naive character mm-hmm. of the group. And Jennifer Hudson's character is, Effie is like, once again, protecting her. But sorry, my thoughts are kind of jumping around. But you the, what, what I think no. about when I think about that is like Effie kind of being like the thicker one of the group, the darker one of the group. I mean, Laurel's dark too, but she's the one who kind of is like, the mom of the group you know what i mean so mm-hmm. it's like sort of all these like layers of responsibility on her she's seemingly like the i won't say best singer but has like the strongest voice how like in um can't remember what song it is but when they have like the like angular haircuts and the mm-hmm. orange it's heavy oh heavy? heavy is that heavy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and they're telling her like you're singing too loudly because <laughs> obviously she has like a like a deeper or stronger I don't know the correct word to say it but voice that Beyonce it is that they wanted her to use for the movie and they wanted her to like make herself smaller you know what I'm saying um, and then you have Jennifer Hudson obviously too where she has you know such a like I said like layered character but um, you know at first she's supposed to be like you know, the one to watch out for everybody, to watch everybody's back, to make sure no shit happens to them, you know what I mean? But at the same time, like, it's happening to her, and then she gets mm-hmm. turned into, like, the bad guy, she gets the short end of the stick. But then you have, like, I'm changing, you have the one night only, and that's when you're like, yes, like, our girl's coming back, you know what I mean? She starts to, like, mm-hmm. reconnect with her family, all that stuff. So I just think that it's interesting how they sort of showed all these different characters in different lights. I mean, Jimmy Early, so you see... And there's so much to say with him, too, as far as just, like, you know, the Black entertainer in those days. You know, mm-hmm. he's on stage, and it's an all-white um, audience, and, like, how they kind of just looking at him, and they're, like, 
very much like sexualizing him. But then if he takes it too far, then they're like, well, I'm uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then obviously, you know, the war on drugs, the riots, it's so much in this movie. And I think that is another reason why I'm so connected to it because it touches and it speaks on so many things when it comes to like black history in America or not even black history, but black experience in America as an entertainer. And I, like I say, I can literally go on for a million years, but the last thing I will say is like the, the way they speak about black music being changed, you know, and mm. got me a Cadillac and, you know, some of the other like songs like that. But I just think it's, this movie is so good because it shows so many different lights of so many different things, but, um, and it does that through the characters and through their yeah. kind of like evolutions. It's also, yeah, it is remarkable what a, um, so, you know, a lot of people say that the original play is based on the Supremes, Mm -hmm. Diana Ross and the Supremes, um, and the writer of the play swears that he, he's like, no, this is more about, like, the Shirelles and the various girl groups of the 60s, you know, than, than the Supremes. Uh, but I think David Geffen really turned up the Supreme comparisons mm-hmm, in the movie mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. like, did album covers that look like Supreme album covers and, like, made people look like Diana Ross and Mary Wilson. Right, and, and they, like, work with the Jackson 5 and stuff like that. Yeah. Literally, the, the Jackson Five is one of, is one of my favorite uh, analogs in the movie because they show a picture of him at first and you're like, wow, they got a kid that looks just like Michael Jackson, and then they got him dancing around and singing, and then literally at the end of his song, he says, "Come on, girl, I love you," and that's like, oh, that's literally right from ABC. Like, yeah, and so I think it's incredible, like what a what a great music industry movie this is for being a you know, what they call a Romana Clef, which is like a, a story that's sort of loosely based on reality, but it's mm-hmm. also just like its own fictional story. Mm-hmm. Um, for like being, this is like almost a better music industry movie than like Ray. You know what I mean? I love like, actually how you queued that up and then Andy where you took it because my sort of like thesis while I was watching this is that they're trying to make it, they're trying to tell the story of like this ensemble, right? Like there's like a crew of people who are doing this work and making these decisions. And then like out of it in our music history, like comes Diana Ross. But then there are still all of these other people who were there who have their own stories and like were living with her and um, have stories that like are as rich as that. And so mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like this musical like it's trying to show those people but then also like doesn't want to elevate any of them to protagonist because then that would like lose the ensembleness of it um, right yeah. yeah and so when jennifer holiday wins her emmy she and cheryl lee ralph are both nominated for lead Mm-hmm. and mm. then jennifer hudson gets you know obviously the oscars are much more there's always a lot of strategy that goes into where you're gonna put people sure, yeah. and uh uh and so and I'm, I'm sure it was a bid to like have a better chance that and i'm sure to get out of helen mirren's way that year who was a, a lock to win for the queen um <laughs> and instead just safely in that supporting category the other thing i want to talk about there is um the when you mentioned jimmy playing for the white audience i think that that's so um that scene in particular like does such a good job of never really showing there's like a couple faces that we see but like most for mostly like all of the people who are in the audience are like they're just sort of figures like they're just sort of like white blobs and watching and so we get the effect but it's not um it's it's like not through the white gaze at all it is like we are seeing them 
through Jimmy's gaze or through like right. we like spend some time with a waiter who's there and he's like enjoying that Jimmy is actually like going off a little bit. Um mm-hmm. and and like I think that that also carries through the movie in a way that is probably part of why yeah. it didn't win more Oscars. I mean, it is of note that Tom Ian, the playwright, and Henry Krieger, the conductor, and Bill Condon, the writer and director of this movie, are all white. Um, I don't know. It's just it's just interesting to me, just of note. Yeah. Like, Hustle and Flow is one of my favorite movies, which is a movie very much about rap, and it's also written and directed by a white man, Craig Brewer, and was nominated for Oscars, and uh, it's just an interesting thing that I I don't don't think that happens as much anymore. Like, I think that's that's not a thing you you see anymore, I think people tend to give black movies to black directors now. And I just think there were so few black directors that were given the chance to like get this kind of work at the time. Yeah. And sure. it's interesting sort of come too a long way in the past 10 years. For this story that is all about like building up a black part of the entertainment industry. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And just exposing a lot of like truth when it comes to like yeah. music and the way that the industry was handled. And I mean, obviously it's all about money as well. You know, you see that when they're paying to get on the radio and stuff like that, but you know, who holds the money, who holds the power? Um, One of my favorite, I say jokes, but it's also like a real thing that happened in history uh, in this movie is uh, after Jimmy does Cadillac car, the smash cut to the white dude singing Cadillac car uh, and just so bland, which yeah, yeah, which is like a thing that like there. I forget the guy's name. It may have been Pat Boone would cover like Little Richard's Tutti Fruity, but it's like Tutti Fruity, oh Rudy, you know that kind of like that happened, and mm-hmm. and they would they would chart mm-hmm. higher with those versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, it's still very even though that's tragic, it still is very funny when it happens in the movie because the guy playing the white guy who steals the song understands the assignment. He's really like making it milk toast and it really makes me laugh. I mean, it is extremely watered down. Like if you were to hear the two yeah. songs, it would take you a second to be like, oh, wait. <laughs> you know? like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's um, I really love that they like introduce the this thing that happened in reality and like show it to us as it really happened. But then also like take it to within like the um. I know they're not called Motown. What are they called in the movie? Um, oh, uh, Cadillac. Is, it's not. No, it's not Cadillac Records. That's a different movie. <laughs> but I was thinking about that movie this morning. That's funny. But to, but like they take that same like we watch Curtis do that same thing to Effie. Like that right. he had just been yeah. fighting against, mm-hmm. and like he yeah, just like exactly. perpetuates and uses the same shitty tools, um, which is like. And that's, like, part of how we know, like, he's the bad guy. Rainbow Records. Thank you. Oh, so also something that is interesting, you're talking about they, like, were sort of remapping the story of the Supremes onto it, that they move the setting from Chicago to Detroit for the movie. That, like, the stage show is set in Chicago, and they're like, no, that's not. Which is funny because, A, you see an L go by at one point, (laughs) (laughs) And, and B... Uh, there's a point where Danny Glover says to Jennifer Hudson, oh, that guy can't be here tonight. He's in Evanston. And I'm like, oh, they forgot <laughs> to change that, that, to, that to something else. They that forgot to change really that funny. to a Detroit suburb. <laughs> so, but we're, so we're in Detroit for this. Uh, it's like a talent show, basically. And um, the only, like, we've sort of talked about, you know, we, we meet everyone, everyone meets each other, but Jaleel White is there. <laughs> <laughs> he is. And I just. Steve Urkel is, Yeah. 
I love, I love that he just like is there and then like never again. It's just like they got him for yeah. the day. They had that one joke and then we move on. Um, yeah. I thought it called a cameo, but I'm pretty sure that's just a guy trying to get a paycheck. Yeah, I feel like it's like maybe, I, I don't know, but it has come back around to like feeling like a delightful cameo. Sure. Um, yeah. So the girls sing Move Move, which is like, it feels very 50s, but also like, we get a couple of the other songs that like the other acts are singing and you can tell that like even while it still feels very of the time it also is a little like oh i can see how this is going to like we're going to go from the 50s to the 60s um yeah um can i talk about how sort of worried i was when we started it last night during these scenes i i kind of found a lot of it so that you see all these acts doing their songs and they're all good but they're not like None of them are real like jammers, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like, not even tiny. also none of them, <laughs> not even tiny. Uh, he's big. That's the joke. Um, but uh, no, it's 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 more that like they're all very sort of generic Motown girl group or boy group songs. And, you know, there's something to be said in a musical for like kicking off with a killer. And the, I don't know that Dreamgirls necessarily does that. And I was they do such a better job almost immediately after this of like every song, not only um is sort of more of a bop than all these songs in the opening, but like also they all have emotional stakes that resonate with the rest mm-hmm. of the movie. That, something mm-hmm. this movie does really well and that the musical does really well is that there's never a time where, where they're performing a song where they're just performing that song. Also that song is about the emotions right. of several different yeah. characters at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, they, the girls meet Jimmy who is Eddie Murphy in like a, Incredible, incredible. I was just gonna ask, will you, will you tell, tell them how hard I laughed at his, um, he, he... No mayonnaise sec- on a chicken sandwich! You don't <laughs> yeah, no put mayonnaise on a chicken sandwich! The way he, t- he like, he turns around, you see his face, and he delivers that line. I, like, cackled both times we watched this movie. Isn't he already, is he already talking in third person at that point? Like, Jimmy don't like... Yeah, yeah. Jimmy don't like mayonnaise on a chicken sandwich. Yeah, I love him. And then he, so then we get this, uh... Fake your way to the top, and it's like it's our first like it's not our first montage. This entire movie just is a montage, um, which mm-hmm. I it's really hard to like fit fifteen years a of plot, plot when you have six yeah. beloved main characters into a two hour movie. So like, fine, you can have a montage. Can I talk about stuff? The thing I I told you this morning, which is that this movie, in a weird way to me, is like a Christopher Nolan movie because <laughs> it lays so much stuff on you. And it doesn't care. It's not that it doesn't care if you pick it up or not, but it's like they will there they will be five minutes into a scene and all of a sudden they'll just reveal that that a plot element ha- happened ten years ago. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like say Effie having a kid that. or Yeah. Yeah. They 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 just sort of let you catch up on things whenever you catch up to them. And also things are happening so fast in this yeah. movie. There's a lot of plot that just happens in the middle of a song. Yeah, it and it just reminds me of the way that Christopher Nolan like just like throws a lot of stuff at you and lets you keep whatever you keep, you know. Yeah, specifically, I want to talk about this moment where they go from like being backstage, like around a rehearsal piano and listening to the song for the first time, and then they do like a a practical effect where like Eddie walks around them and they're backstage. So then the curtain goes up and then they like walk right into the performance. Um, and mm-hmm. it's sort of the first time in the musical that, like, we, the audience, are taken out of these are per- people who are performing on stage and, like, they're they're performing diegetically in the musical. And this 
this moment is when they're like, also, they sing their emotions. And like, mm-hmm. we're just going to tie yeah. those two together all the time. I love it. Yeah, you know, Steph, I hate to correct you, but oh, actually, what it, you don't see a curtain go up. Actually, what you see is the curtain come in behind the backing band. Like, and that signifies that now we're on stage. And, it, and it's such an interesting thing mm. to me because you don't think of a curtain coming in behind people. But the fact that you see a curtain move, even though it's the back of the stage, for some reason, your brain just interprets, oh, the show, oh, we're at the show. Oh, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it works, even though it, even though it makes no logistical sense, it still works as a, as a, as a movie thing, movie logic, you know? Um, okay, so now they're together. We've met um, Curtis's Aunt Ethel, who is there to be their little chaperone. Um, which I think mm-hmm. is just very fun. <laughs> Something I love, by the way, is that Eddie Murphy is like kind of playing Little Richard in this movie, but he's also playing if Little Richard were a pussy hound, you know? <laughs> I mean, there, was, there were not great uh, chaperones. Like, after like yeah. maybe five minutes of chaperone and they gave up on their job. So, yeah, yeah like, no. oh, whatever. There's like, it's not, I don't, I didn't write down exactly when it is, but like it's very shortly after this that Loretta, or she comes in and she's like, I'm a woman now. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, she's and like, I'm now. 18 now. And then, and then, and then, and then when she like, said now, it sent a chill down my spine. Yeah, yeah. And like, also, she has this moment where she's like, "Did you hear? I'm a, like, do you know what that means? Yeah, it's just very mm-hmm. like. And they're all they're supposed like, to have girl. a chaperone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> this is the part of the movie where we're like, we're getting them sort of being backup y and like start to realize that they're like bigger than that. Um, yeah, can we take a second just to talk about Eddie Murphy sort of writ large in this movie? Yeah, he's he is uh, I really think he's absolutely incredible for this and or in this and uh and he he just misses the Oscar this year because Alan Arkin is in Little Miss Sunshine that same year and it's like almost like a lifetime achievement award for him thing but like, you know, again, if we look at if we look at Eddie Murphy losing to Alan Arkin there, if we look at Denzel losing to Kevin Spacey in 98, if we look at Angela Bassett losing to Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, in 2023, it's almost like, hmm, what's the common thread in all mm. these three things? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and so I still think Eddie Murphy, like, I'm still waiting on him to like find the, 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 the makeup Oscar that they owe him. You know what in I case, mean? In case we don't get to it later on his, his like kind of final scene before he disappears, it's this like upper lit and he's like fully into the seventies and like funk now um and when we watched it the first time andy turned to me and was like how do we get him to play judas iscariot and jesus christ superstar that and then like that'll be yeah. his oscar yeah. <laughs> it would be just perfect. i would love him as judas eddie murphy yeah. and jamie fox are two of the most talented people like ever Crazy. yeah see but i i do think acting wise jamie fox is kind of slumming it here like he there there's he as an actor has more to give than necessarily the part of Curtis has. Mm-hmm, but sure. the fact that he gets to do all the villain stuff mm-hmm. uh, probably pays off for him. Yeah. I don't think he often plays a bad guy. Yeah. 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 But, but um, Eddie, and I also, I also told Steph that like in the first, in the first half of this movie, Eddie Murphy is doing his James, no. Yeah. He's doing his James Brown impression in the first half of this movie. And then the second half of this movie, he's doing his Stevie Wonder impression. Like both very famous impressions of his from Saturday Night Live. And you're like, <laughs> oh, I remember when he did the James Brown hot tub show. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Did the same voice. There's like one song too where we're watching them record, and it's like you can kind of like see him transition from them too. Yeah, it's like one of the time changing moments. I think it's patience. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're right. We haven't even mentioned Danny Glover, by the way. Oh yeah, I mean he is. Uh, he he looks older in this movie than I think he is at the time, and I don't know how much of that is because he's like hanging out with a bunch of twenty two year olds. Um, 
but he is doing... Are you implying that that he's too old for this shit? (laughs) I would never say that. (laughs) Okay, all right. He does feel very grandpa in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like a few times during the movie he was trying to, like, hold on to, like, the good old days or, like, his youth. You know what I mean? Like, even when he kept, like, over and over asserting that, like, he was Jimmy's manager. And it's like, okay, well, it doesn't matter. (laughs) And it's such a great thing, too, when he he teams up with Effie basically as the two outcasts Mm -hmm. of Rainbow Records Mm -hmm. and they, they they're able to get something going together. I just wanted to mention a a story I just remembered about Danny Glover that uh, he was doing uh, college tours, doing Q and A's at colleges and a a friend of mine, uh, you worked for the the student activity council at the university Mm -hmm. of Memphis and got him to come speak. And uh, he did a Q and A for like two hours. And then my friend had to get on the mic and he was like, Hey, Mr. Glover, I'm sorry. We're running out of time. So unfortunately we have to wrap up. Um, but before we go, um, can you, can you say it? And Danny Glover was like, say, say what? What do you mean? He's like, and Paul said, come on, come on, say it. And, uh, and Danny Glover just goes, I'm too old for this shit. And then the roof just blew off the student <laughs> center. That's hilarious. Danny Glover felt that in his bones. Yeah. yeah. So we get these these early songs that are like, they're starting to transition to pop. So we have Cadillac Car, which is, uh, I love that there's a moment Curtis is like, no, we're not doing that. And Cece's like, I'm just going to go play it over here. <laughs> and like Cece and Laurel mm-hmm. go play mm-hmm. it. And like, and then they're like, okay, I guess I have to admit that this is like a great song. Um and then and the even, other one is step into the Jimmy is like, oh, I see what you are doing here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then we get step in. So then the Cadillac car happens, and then the twerpy white guy does his cover. And like as a response to that, we get step into the bad side, which is like Curtis is going to start doing his payola stuff. But also, this is another one of those first times that we like really see them do the musical thing of. Like, I am just saying this thing, processing my emotions, and it turns out that my emotions are too big for speech, and so now I'm going to be singing. And now they're mm-hmm. singing at each other. Um, it is it is the only time, or it's the at least the first time in the movie, where the singing is not someone standing on stage singing into a microphone. They're just sitting in a parking lot, and they start singing their feelings to each other. And it was jarring for me at first, but then the song turns into such a bop after that. And not only that, but then... And I made this joke to you where I was like, oh, they should be like, hey, the song we're singing right now is really good. We should write this down. And then they do. Um, They go to a dance rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. And then like two minutes later, Jimmy is doing that song live on stage. I was like, oh, good. They did write it down. Okay. Yeah. Um, This is also. That's what I mean when I say they're really good at like taking real emotions and like putting them into the song. Yeah. It's it's really effective. Um, This is also where we get to see their little warehouse studio. And like over the course of the movie, we sort of track it going from like a big open warehouse where they've brought in a couple mirrors to like, they have a recording booth that has like random crap up for soundproofing to like, Oh, now they have like some beautiful red leather soundproofing. And then, you know, mm-hmm. eventually they're in LA or wherever. Yeah. Um, I shout out hit and battle who plays, uh, uh, Jamie Foxx's uh, like aide Wayne. He's a, a Broadway veteran uh, choreographer. He uh, played, I, want, I think, Jimmy Thunder on on Broadway at one point, uh, and um, is beloved to me. And this is the second week running where I'm mentioning one of my favorite musicals, uh, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer once more with feeling, where he plays the uh, the villain, Sweet, and has like a real bop of a song that like 
is oh, just yeah. has on, one of the like, greatest your, villain like, songs of all time that you yeah. just listen to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to the Dream Girls soundtrack this morning just so I can like get into the pit and the mind space. Uh huh. But I think this is That's... the part of the movie too. Sorry. Um, when they bring when um they're looking for like the receptionist and mm-hmm. she ends up mm-hmm. being like the you know mm-hmm. replacing member of Effie. It's just so interesting too having the movie sort I, of. Can I be honest? That. I didn't. I didn't put that together until right now. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I did not realize that that was the reception. Yes. And I, I was thinking about that, like this kind of like theme about the movie. You had said something earlier. Um, shoot, it's, it's left my brain now, but it just made me think of that because it was another time where they were kind of like foreshadowing, I guess, but it's so deeply entrenched. Oh, I was just thinking how, like, with this movie, you sometimes have to watch it more than once, and I mean, I've seen it, I can't even tell you how many times. So, mm-hmm. you start to notice, like, background stuff, because you're not watching, like, mm-hmm. the, you know, foreground so much, but then you realize, like, well, hold on. Did she come yeah. in as the receptionist? They tell her to take off her nails, and then really she ends up being in the group, meaning that Jamie Foxx is sort of planning that the whole time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. While he's, you know, See, supposed to be in love with Effie, and then, you know, it's just all this stuff. This movie mm-hmm. is just so, it's so crazy. <laughs> so that that actually really helps me with with a part of the movie, which is the in the in the end I'm not telling, or sorry, and I am telling you prelude, mm-hmm. uh, when they're all sort of ganging up on her, uh, and and she says, you know, for 10 years, what, I, I don't know the lines, but she says, like, for 10 years, you know, we've been a family. And mm-hmm. basically, everyone there says back, you've been our burden. Mm-hmm. And she, and when the new girl says it, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, why, why is she, <laughs> what are you chipping in for? But to hear that she's the secretary and, like, actually was around mm-hmm. for, you know, that, like, that actually helps justify the, that she doesn't like Effie already. Yeah, and, like, Effie's, like, basically... um insinuating that she's like putting out in order to like have gotten into the group Mm -hmm. because Uh Effie's realizing that obviously Dina and you know her man have been together you know what I mean so she's like okay well if it's her then it must be you too you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, that's what she's Mm -hmm. like you know I'm not taking this from no second rate diva it's like wait why are you bad (laughs) yeah yeah But she had, but she has that second rate diva right in the hip pocket. She's ready. Yeah, with that. So that's exactly. How you know like that, she had that, that anger is real. <laughs> <laughs> well, meanwhile, Beyonce calls Jennifer Hudson a non-professional, which is sort of the um, uh, most lukewarm burn I've ever heard in my, yeah. in my life. Yeah, you non-professional. Not. That's um, I, that's the best thing to me, or at least one of them, because there's so many good ones. Yeah, yeah. I love um, when she like. It's what she pops off her nails because like they need her to type or something, and she's just like like we like watch her pop. It's just such a little moment that like speaks so much. You can like say a million things with one little four shot. Yeah. So the the jarringness of of the um sort of you know non what am I correct to say non diegetic singing of the beginning of step into the Mm -hmm. is it step into the devil step into the bad side. Thank you. Step into the bad side. Even though it starts that jarring, like by the time they get into it, it's great. And then when when Jimmy's doing it, I am fucking fully on board. When Jimmy's doing it, it's maybe my favorite song in this musical, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's such a hot song by the time Jimmy gets his hands on it. Hell yeah. But they definitely take you through it, too. Like from conception, you know what I mean? And then uh-huh. yeah. to like yeah, the yeah, yeah. stage. Yeah. Just like you first hear Cadillac Car like at the piano and it's sort of slow and stilted. And then by the time Jimmy has it, and then it gets slowed down again by that white guy. Mm-hmm. to its final form 
Um, <laughs> right in here, too, we get uh, a really fun moment where Effie comes in in, like, one of her diva fits because an amateur is getting a B-side and then she holds it up and it's MLK's I Have a Dream speech that they're printing. Mm-hmm. And, like, they just really... I, that's such a, a fun little moment where, like, they are understanding all of our expectations and then Effie gets uh-huh. to be like, yeah, I know what I am. <laughs> and yeah. I have fun with it. Also, part of that scene is that they pay off that Jamie Foxx, as he said to Effie earlier, does indeed have two thick sisters. <laughs> mm-hmm. And one of his thick sisters is Cleo King, aka uh-huh. Aunt Lou, aka um, that police officer who stops the stoners in Pineapple Express from dealing to the kids. Oh, wow. Yeah, and a different police officer in Do Doors My Car. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually crazy. <laughs> um, and then we hear this is where we get our first uh, original song, Love You I Do. Which I didn't really realize was original until we were, like, doing research. Because I feel like it fits so well into mm-hmm. the story at this point, into Effie at this point. And the also, it's, yeah, it's, like, the first yeah. time that Jennifer Hudson really gets to, like, be unleashed. Mm-hmm. Like, not not that we, like, haven't heard her sing well. Like, she ha- and she's she's been great. But this is, like, oh, yeah, she's Jennifer. Like, she's mm-hmm. actually on another level. Um, and it's just a it's a charming little bop. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild that it's not from the original. The I'll, I'll say this: the other two songs that are new are not as seamlessly woven in, I think, to the musical landscape as this one is. Uh, but mm. we'll we'll get to those. Um, and so now we get like the montage of uh, Laurel coming in. She's a woman now, um, and then Curtis is like, I'm going to split you up. And Laurel is like, no, not my Jimmy. And then he says, it's because you're your own act. And she's immediately like, never mind, I'm good. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. And this takes us into Family Tree, which we talked about earlier. And then, yeah. And so then, so here, like, what's happening is that now the girls are, like, going off on their own. Um, Effie doesn't like that Dina's going to be the lead, which, fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... They convince her to stay with family, um, and then and then we get the titular Dream Girls when she like a, she does relent after family. Um, and what I want to talk about with this song is other than the staging, which d- again has some very good like lights in the air, ephemeralness, um, is that Curtis is in the audience with Dina's mom, mm-hmm. and Dina's mom is like. You're talking about her like she's a product. And Curtis is like, product? I like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that excites him. I And it's just all, like, I feel like that's the moment when you may have been like, I don't know, maybe he's okay. Maybe he like is blah, blah, blah. And then he says product. I like that. And you're like, uh-uh, full villain. Like, yeah. you are using these little girls. Well, even at the end, I couldn't tell what they were going to do with Jamie. Because this is still a type of movie where, like, it'd be very easy for Jamie Foxx to come in on the last scene and be like, I'm sorry I did all that stuff to you guys. And I'm going to be a good father from now on or whatever. Yeah. But instead, they just imply that that happens. But yeah, it's sort of yeah. a little bit ambiguous. Yeah, definitely. I was going to just say, I think it's interesting because in the scene where he's like a product, yeah, or like just the way the look on his face, you know what I mean? You mm-hmm. can tell, you know, when someone is saying something and you can tell that they know it's wrong, like mm-hmm. you can tell that he uh, didn't think it was wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, he was just like so excited about that. Like, like, oh, that's what I should be focusing on. Or the fact that someone else noticed 
the what he was focusing on the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So interesting. Um, so then from here we go into heavy, which is um like they're recording their new single and Effie is having to sing backup and like they're just trying to get her to like be softer or like be more blended in. And she's like, no, that's not me. That's not how I sing. And then she storms off. Um, and, and then it and comes now we're to this here. live, this live TV performance of heavy where, uh, so this, the one thing I want to say is that this is like the one, I'm pretty sure it's on purpose, but like they, the dress they put Jennifer Hudson in here just does her no favors. Like, mm-hmm. and I think it's just to make her look sort of like extra thick during the song heavy, which mm-hmm. clearly either, I mean, like Cece's the songwriter, right? But it really seems like. And this is, again, this is like some of that Christopher Nolan, this isn't on the screen shit. But in my head, the headcanon is that Curtis went to CC and was like, you notice Effie's getting a little heavy. Can we do anything with that song-wise? <laughs> and, then, and then CC wrote the song. And then at the next scene, he says, oh, you're getting fatter than ever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and by like, the way, she's pregnant, dick. Yeah. By you. I mean, it's he your kid. Yeah. Um, oh, Yeah. And then, okay, so yeah, so then we see her go to a clinic, and, like, we don't see her, like, it's just, like, we just see her go to a clinic, and um, then they come, we come back, and they're in rehearsals, and this is that, it's all over, there's, like, there's, like, a drum kit that is just, like, it, like, starts over just dialogue, and again, they just, like, it's, like, there is just tension that has spilled them over into having to sing about it. Um, Can I ask a, can I... I want to I want to bring the timeline into question here and just sort of sure. ask some questions. So Effie, we see her go to this clinic, right? And that's sort of the first inclination that we get that she might be pregnant. Um, but you sort of I don't know. Again, movie language to me imply when you see a woman walking out of a clinic in a in a movie, it's usually because she got an abortion, right? Mm-hmm. And and then she even says to the gang, she says, "Oh yeah, I was sick, but I'm better now." And I don't know mm. what that means because, again, it's a reveal like 20 minutes later that she actually had a kid at, like mm-hmm. at that point, like, or, you know, right after this has a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does she mean when she says, I'm better now? Maybe she didn't realize she was pregnant. Like maybe the clinic was like telling her she was pregnant or like confirming it and like, you know, trying to like make her healthy. Maybe and I possibly think it could be like a brain body connection type of the better mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. I did wonder that too when she first left the clinic. Like, why did she go there and what happened? You know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe she, I always thought she left the group because she obviously knew whose baby it was. And I mean, obviously they kind of kicked her out, but <laughs> like, I always wondered, yeah. like, why didn't she say anything? Like, why didn't she say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. besides she saying, oh, I have pain, like, I have a child inside of me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, during I am telling you, she's like pulling everything out of her pockets to get Jamie Foxx yeah. to stay with her, and the fact that she doesn't pull that out, mm-hmm. I, I like I, honestly, I think it speaks. It's well, it speaks a lot to to Effie because I'm able to like then in my mind go like, oh well, Effie probably doesn't want him with her if that's the only reason that he's mm-hmm. going to be with her. Mm-hmm. So Effie's mm-hmm. not going to tell him that, and mm-hmm. even though she's so desperate for him in this moment, she still is not going to play that trump card because she still has her. She still has some remnant of her dignity left still right Mm -hmm. yeah i had sort of taken it like what ashley was saying of like you're especially in those early stages like you're very hormonal and uh don't it's wild when like that something is happening to you and you don't know what it is Mm 
And so, like, she's probably feeling insane, too. But then also she's, like, just like, she's also being like, no, they're gaslighting me into doing this thing. They're diminishing me, which is all justified. Um, And so, like, I'm sure she's that's all part of why I love that this song just feels like a break. Like, it feels like she is just saying, like, no, I am. I'm not playing that game anymore. I'm I'm going to be me and you're going to mm-hmm. love me. Mm-hmm. And then if we want to talk about um, practical transitions, the rudest one in the movie happens at the end of this song. Uh, when I they, gasped. She finishes her big heartbreaking note at the end of this song and the camera zooms right past her. And then in the same shot, uh, Dina walks out and starts singing a different song. Yeah, it's just like anyway, wild. Yeah, wild that they don't give you a second to process. Devastating. Yeah. Um, I also this is where I wrote down in my notes. LOL. She is literally named Michelle because we haven't talked about the the like the, the Beyonce the Destiny's of it all. Child yeah. Beyonce of it all yeah. and how like it the way that it mirrors the story and like also the way that like into like. In the meta production of this movie, like it's two thousand, like that's all very fresh. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Let's let's it's let's not... explain to the Zoomers what we're talking about. Okay, so um, Beyonce <laughs> Knowles grew up in Texas with Buddy. Okay, you, don't, you have like... to start at the first line <laughs> okay. of her Wikipedia page. <laughs> they so Destiny's Child was this group that like they formed very much like the original Dreams here, like they've been singing together, mm-hmm. and um. I might not be all up on all of the details of, like, how they come together, but they, like, released their first album, which has great success, and then drop two of the girls and um, bring in Michelle. And sort of start to shuffle. Well, even before Michelle, I think there's, like, another two or one that come in. Like, there's a shuffle for a while mm-hmm. before they land on Michelle. It's like, let's tell you um, lucky. I wish I, I remember mm-hmm. all, all of them, but yeah. there's definitely, at first there's a four-person group. Yeah, but there's, uh-huh. there's but then another it's a different girl. four person. It's a different four person, and then they drop and they bring in Michelle Williams. Yeah, yeah. Who sticks, so, which is so. I mean, like, because this is a movie about a group that, like, you know, has like lead singer like back and forth and changes from three to four at a certain point of the movie, and like, it's just wild that like that she took this movie when it's so it's. It's just so reflective of what she had just very publicly been through. But mm-hmm. I I love that as like it's on it's a very effy move. <laughs> it's sort of mm-hmm. like she's literally staring down the camera and being like, "Yeah, that did happen. It does mirror mm-hmm. this. I am mm-hmm. like I'm not shying away from it. I'm not not reflecting on it. I am reflecting it out back out. Like, yeah. Here we are. Let's meditate yeah. on it." So we're in and I, and I I didn't realize this until much later, but like we're we're in now what is act 2 of the play. Like I was, in, and it, it was like thirty minutes after it happened last night that we were watching stuff that I turned to you, and I was like, "Oh, and I am telling you is intermission." That makes a lot <laughs> yeah. of sense. And the, then they do the time jump after that. But yeah. I think the fact that that you don't think about that in the movie is a credit to the movie. This podcast is all about turning musicals into movies, and I think this movie does a pretty good job of that throughout. Even though I will say there are times that this movie feels like a COVID movie. And by that, I mean, it seems like they shot a lot of it with the same two people in the same room. You know what I mean? Like how Mm -hmm. all the movies during COVID kind of look like just three people were there in one room that they kept changing Mm -hmm. around. Um, But it's uh, the the transitions like that and the way that they were able to make this a movie instead of like just feeling like a stage version of the play. I think it's successful like more often than not. Mm -hmm. I hard agree. So, yeah, now we're jumping forward 
uh dina's hella famous the other dreams are like slightly less famous mm-hmm. um we get jamie fox has his little solo when i first saw you oh so also this happens off screen but dina and uh curtis got married <laughs> now they're fully mm-hmm. together and um she is just trying to like position herself in her career as she sees it and he is still trying to be like no you're my little you're my little like doll that i position around and do whatever i want (laughs) you to do and so he sings the song to her before like before it he says you'll always be 16 to me which is like shut up (laughs) like Uh get out Uh yeah i was like scared during this scene i remember the first time i saw it um yeah it just didn't seem safe. Like she didn't. She didn't feel safe to me. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like too. It's sort of this. We. It's the first time that we see Dina starting to like get that a little bit. Um, um, also, Jimmy is trying to find his sort of next gear to reinvent himself here. Mm-hmm. And and so this is like basically the next song is them trying to do patience, right? Or do it. They do patience, and it's yeah. But then Jamie but Fox shifts all over it. Right? Right? Yeah, yeah, so he doesn't he doesn't like that it's a message song. Mm-hmm. He wants them to do pop, which is very funny because like one song ago he's trying to convince Dina like when he's trying to convince Dina to do a Cleopatra movie, he's like evoking the idea of being an inspiration for little black girls that they can see mm-hmm. Cleopatra. And then one second later he's like, No, I don't like that message shit. <laughs> yeah. And then also I do have to mention that um Beyonce, there's all this talk of putting her in a Cleopatra movie, and she is about three years away from having played Cleopatra Jones in Austin Powers and Goldmember. <laughs> hey guys, Andy here. I realize I got that wrong. She plays Foxy Cleopatra in Goldmember. Cleopatra Jones is the original character that's sort of based on. So I will be sending a smoke and a pancake to the estate of Mike Myers and apology. Thanks for keeping me honest, guys. I love that movie, honestly. <laughs> I mean, me too. But I did read that Beyonce says that she considers this to be her actual acting debut, which is funny because she's the that. female lead of Gold Mover. <laughs> she she's yeah. in so much of that movie. And um, but, it's but another movie it. too she was in. But I'm glad. Are she you thinking about Carmen and Hip Hopper? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which is a TV movie, but it is. I think that's even before Awesome Powers. I think that's like '99 mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, that's super old. I'm like, I, I'm glad she sees those as like fun you know what i mean like yeah those are fun and this is acting you know i feel like it's like when people are like i was in my college production of austin powers and now i am a professional in dream girls so let's let's talk about it is beyonce good at acting i don't know i think it depends on what you expect from her if you Uh look at beyonce uh and judge her by angela bassett no. <laughs> but if you know what if she's next to an Academy Award winning performance for an entire movie? <laughs> yeah. I think she is helped. I think her performance in this movie is amazing. And mm-hmm. like she's helped by all of the ways that like she's playing someone who is sort of a version of her real life story. Like mm-hmm. she's playing someone who and that like I think for the second half, like once she's famous Dina, successful mm-hmm. Dina, and they've like let her be Beyonce a little bit. Like what mm-hmm. you were talking about before when it's like, when they say like, I don't know if Dina can do it. And then they turn the camera and it's Beyonce. And we're all like, I think Dina can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so like in that early part, she's really reining herself in. And mm-hmm. I I don't know that it's like, 
I, I don't know that I care about good or not, but, like, I do think it's convincing. I do, yeah. like, I do believe that she's, like, this little ingenue who just wants to sing her songs and doesn't know what sex is. And, uh, I mean, I guess, importantly, does know what sex is, but isn't interested in it. And, uh-huh. um, I, like, I think that she gives a perfectly sufficient performance there to believe it. And then when she grows into being Beyonce... Like, I don't think that she's necessarily doing anything as Dina that is, like, a stretch, but I do think she's, like, performing it well. Does that make sense? Yeah. Compared to, like, the movie Obsessed she was in uh, with Idris Elba, mm-hmm. and like we said, the earlier movie she was in, and then this movie in Cadillac Records, I feel like mm-hmm. Dream Girls and Cadillac Records, I see her more playing a character, you know what I mean? And also mm-hmm. actually, like, like, not that she wasn't playing a character and obsessed, but I, I don't know if it's the musical aspect of it that makes it, like you said, more convincing beyond the fact that I am a definite diehard Beyonce fan. Like, I'm not uh-huh. crazy. Like, I will like do something to you if you're not like a beehive person, but I'm definitely <laughs> right. like Beyonce's trailblazer. You know what I mean? She's one of one, like that type of person. But I would definitely say that I enjoy performance more in Catholic Records and Dream Girls than in like Obsessed or, you know, some of the earlier movies, which I mean, uh, Austin Powers and Carmen are, are like funny movies or like fun movies, in my opinion, mm-hmm. instead of like yeah. serious type of movies. What about her performance in a musical very close to your heart, The Lion King? I did not even think about that actually. I, I actually <laughs> did love that. I yeah. have only seen it once with her in it. I did see it in theaters. Nice. Um I think I'm a big that, defender of that movie. Yeah, I, I think it's I don't know. Beyonce's voice is just so beautiful, even like her speaking yeah. voice, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I loved her yeah. color, honestly. That Texas accent, that oh my god. I just yeah. love I love her Texas accent so much. She's like, what are you doing here? When like they meet each other again when they're grown up and it's just like, I love you, Beyonce. I will marry you, honestly. <laughs> I mean, we we barely even talked about Anika Rose, who's the third dream and is uh, you know, will go on to be Princess Tiana three years after mm-hmm. this, but um but like she she carried well, okay, so after this time jump, uh Laurel, L- 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 right? Mm-hmm. Laurel and Jimmy are like together and it's Christmas and so you, I kind of this is what I again this is more of that like you you can figure out the plot of the movie on your own time shit is like mm-hmm. at this point I'm like oh so Laurel and Jimmy have like gotten married and they're together and then like fully 10 minutes later they're like oh his wife is here <laughs> right you know right and also and then but then we get that heartbreak of her being like no I've been doing this shit for 10 <sighs> years Laurel yeah. loves Jimmy oh my god that that broke uh-huh. my heart uh-huh uh-huh that was like, i wrote crying. here another powerful moment where you have to sing the drama of your feelings mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there's just not enough emotion contained in speech the um so there's also we're, we're deep into the eddie murphy drug uh subplot the jimmy mm-hmm. jimmy thunder mm-hmm. subplot uh where he is addicted to cocaine which is like i don't know it's just like a little bit forced in the movie i feel but like you know not that it's not real but um and not that it's like not a thing that wasn't happening in in the record industry but uh it just it doesn't feel totally not that drug addictions are ever natural but it just it's something about the presentation of it It feels like it could have been slid in a little more naturally but then also that's what that's what drug addictions are like and sometimes you just take out um i don't know if it was cocaine or crack that he was taking out at christmas 
Because he had it was, foil. I think it was Coke that, because I think he snorts it. He doesn't shoot it mm-hmm. up. Oh, yeah. And crack, yeah. Cracks invented in the 80s anyway. So that would yeah, be but it would have been not anachronistic. Yeah. yeah. I also think that there are times throughout the movie um, where he behaves a little erratic. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And they don't straight up say like or show you that he's doing drugs. But once you kind of like think backwards, you can say like, yeah, maybe maybe that was drug induced. And you like maybe I mean? I've been thinking that Absolutely. this was just like characterization, but actually, mm-hmm. and also like maybe it's a little bit of a blend. Maybe that's mm-hmm. like how they have been weaving it in. Um, but we haven't. I mean, his okay. So the song is called "I Meant You No Harm" slash Jimmy's rap. Which is very, I'm like, I'm trying to imagine like uh, an audience in 1983, like seeing this on stage and what their reaction to it would have been. Oh, that's true because that, okay, that does make, because when they drop this on stage, like rap is sort of being invented, you know, like as it were, but like, um, it's such a, not that, you know, there are things that are like sort of similar to rap and records from the seventies. And so this could have existed. This could have happened. Um, but the, okay, before we even get into it, I want to talk about the first half of it, which is called what? I meant you no harm. I meant you no harm, which is this, this great song. It's so funny. His wife is in the audience, but Laurel is in the wings of the stage. And so he's doing this thing where he keeps turning from one of them to the (laughs) other while he's singing all these lines of the song and trying to sing it to both of them before like, Laurel just like finally peers her head around the corner and then her and the wife are just looking at each other and there's this big realization moment. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, we'll never see Jimmy have to deal with the consequences of that because um, he's going to be gone pretty soon. But uh, but then he says, "Cut no, the song's too sad. Cut it. There's no reason for us to play that song. Um, and he starts having them improvise a beat and then he just starts making up words about how he's got soul. And it's not what I would call um, a good song. But I, it's I think not it's what I would call a, a bad time, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just seeing it in my head. <laughs> because before that, do we see him doing drugs, or is that all after that? We do not that night. I don't think. I don't think that night. So we we skipped over, but like before we get here in the movie, we go to see Effie, and this is where we like see her with her kid, um, oh, and then also like, we see no daddy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um. Yeah. And then she does I'm Changing, which Mm -hmm. is her version. It's her, like, owning her diva behavior, kind of. Mm -hmm. And, like, owning her, like, there's this moment where, like, it's, like, she shouldn't have to audition because she's great. But then she just, like, sings. And I this is one Mm -hmm. of the things that, like, when I was talking about seeing this as a 20-year-old and then coming back to it in my 30s and being, like, no, that's amazing. That like this is a grown up song. This is a grown up fucking song. Yeah, yeah. It's these are like, some grown up I'm feelings. It's like, please give me a chance it's... to be better. Yeah. yeah, and like, there's also something about like watching her like put together and embody the idea that like you can have confidence in yourself. You can know that your own skills and abilities are amazing, and you can have people who will even speak to that. But like, you are still gonna have to demonstrate it like you are still gonna have Mm -hmm. to like back it up with actions um Mm -hmm. and and like some of the times it's bullshit some of the times like that is someone putting you through some sort of bullshit ringer or like hazing and other times it's like no you do have to just like show up sometimes and that's such an adult 
dichotomy. I don't know. I'm nuts about it. Yeah, I, that's an, another one of my favorite songs. I am changing. Yeah, it's great. You really feel the emotion. Mm-hmm. I, I thought for some reason I kept thinking this is again i always bring it back to the dumbest places but the the line uh, something i kept thinking about during the song is in the movie the aforementioned spider-man no way home uh mm-hmm. where uh near the end doc doc ock he's good now spoiler alert and he sees um his peter toby Maguire, mm-hmm. and he says he says peter how are you and it kind of almost makes me cry for some reason when i think about it to- toby Maguire just looks at him and says i'm trying to be better and that's that oh, I like carry that energy with me mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. I'm trying to be better. So that happens before then we go to the show with Jimmy. And I think it's like it's like immediately after that that we see um the performance by the Campbell connection. <laughs> Perfect world. <laughs> the, uh aka yeah, the Jackson that's the Jackson Five. The Jackson yeah. connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and I then I, and I think it's like in there, yeah. I think it's in there that we see him doing coke backstage and laurel is like hey you don't have to do that here like this yeah. isn't it's like, not, not about tonight, that right now not tonight yeah yeah um but i love the juxtaposition of that like you can grow and you can age and you can either embrace your shit and be changing or you can embrace vices and like hide it all away and jimmy does that and then does this like improvised funk thing um, and yeah. pulls his pants down on stage, which I yeah, like, the pulling his pants down on stage drugs. is so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and like it's so it's something too that it's like thinking about it now. I don't know that we would be scandalized by that. And even like in right. two thousand six, no, thinking about Lizzo with her ass yeah. cutouts in her pants, like no, yeah. we would not care and, like, if he wore knee length boxers on stage. But then he goes off stage, and we have to remember, like, oh yeah, it's the seventies. <laughs> You couldn't right. strip on stage in the 70s. I mean, he strips, he, like, gyrates, and, like, you know, <laughs> he does a lot. He does. He definitely does a lot. And, I mean, I don't think it would be, like, a moral issue these days, but I think even if Eddie Murphy today got a stage and did that, we would be like, well, like, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I do think we'd you know? be much quicker to be like, that man's on drugs. Yeah, that's true that as well. I wish that it read more as a breakdown because instead it just reads as a guy having fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you, you sort of like are made to understand later that it was a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but like it just kind of looks like he's like, oh, I don't want to do that sad song anymore. So after this, they do. Um, oh, so the dreams do a little reprise of family mm-hmm. at this performance, which is like feels like a betrayal almost for them to be doing the song on stage like with Michelle that they sang the, the song that they like improvised to mm-hmm. um, Effie earlier and then and then we get uh, Jimmy's little goodbye moment um, and off screen Jimmy dies of a drug do- overdose mm-hmm. R.I.P. to a real one R.I.P. to a real, real one we're, yeah, sen- we're sending love and light to his family Especially Styles. and to his, yeah. <laughs> um, Rest in then, power. <laughs> so then we get uh, the scene where Dina is meeting with um, some Hollywood people, like to make her own movie, not something that Curtis is. Which Hollywood in. people? The Hollywood people are John Lithgow and John Krasinski. Yeah. Which is on- mostly funny to me because John Lithgow starts talking off camera and there is only one person in the world who has that voice. And I literally, I was like, 
John Lithgow about oh okay yeah there he is uh-huh. um you to your just, credit you, you know, did you did you you literally did nail that it was John Lithgow before he was on screen only uh, one person and, has that voice but to my credit I was able to do the same thing with Loretta Devine about five minutes after that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that. so so they have this movie and then um Jimmy has died and so they're doing sort of a like memorial kind of thing it's not like it's uh, again we don't get all the information so it's not like super explicit but she comes in to sing um the song that isn't the original show it's called i miss you old friend and i think like the role is just credited as like jazz singer um but old in this movie singer, it's played yeah. by loretta divine who she mm-hmm. was uh dina she originates or I think she originates. No. Uh, oh, she's. She, I think she's the original uh, Laurel, because Jennifer Holiday is Effie and Cheryl Lee Ralph is Dina, and so yeah, so she would be. She's the originates Laurel letter to Loretta mm-hmm, Devine. Mm-hmm. Um, and she. This is just like a great little performance again with like they're just sort of all of these moments throughout this movie where like people come in and have like a wonderful two minutes and then mm-hmm. we don't see them again. It's kind of like life. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. and. Cece, and then we get the reconciliation brother, of yeah, of Cece yeah, and comes Effie. back to reconcile, and he's written a song for her. It's called "One Night Only," and uh-huh. uh, we see Effie sing it. It's like a powerful. I, I don't I don't even know how you categorize the song like soul ballad. Um, yeah, and it's even like kind of disco-y, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, or but dance. like yeah. Yeah, and then, well, then they're um, gonna take it hardcore disco. They, they produce the record, and the dreams take it. Curtis is like, "I'm gonna do oh, my right. same thing." Oh right, it's too different. I forgot. And then they make the dreams, and the dreams have like this like ultimate disco version yes. that mm-hmm. like propels Dina into being a disco star. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. I, and yeah. the 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 stage performance <laughs> that they do of this is really fun because they're like. There's a dance breakdown, and they're like putting spotlights on different ones of them while they dance. And then, oh like, yeah, and mm-hmm. the the backup dancers are back. Like they have like the oh, full crew of backup dancers, and like they're being great. No, yeah, it's all these all these backup dancers, and they're all dancing around the um what what looks like the set of Rent. Um, and then like <laughs> finally they come down and start dancing with the girls. They they sort of so this is like now we're just like kind of wrapping up the movie. Like yeah, this is this becomes like the ending conflict. The unwinding oh. of which, like, unwinds the dreams. And so... Yeah, basically in retaliation, Danny Glover is going to get a lawyer, and along with Cece, they have, like, all the evidence of all the payola that, that Curtis has been but doing, and they're... importantly, it's Dina that gives it to them. Like, Dina says, yeah. Curtis is mad that she's trying to do her own thing, and this is where we get the last um, Oscar song, Listen, which is, like... This is the one, too, that even when it happened, I was like, this is a movie, this is a song that they wrote for Beyonce to sing in this moment. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, mm-hmm. it, you can hear that it is, like, written for her voice, and she does nail it. Um, and it's sort of this moment about her being like, no, I'm not your pawn. <laughs> like, I am a person. Mm-hmm. I have my own voice. I'm going to use it. And she uses it to steal all of the paperwork that documented his, Curtis's many crimes. <laughs> And like help her friends get find justice. Um, and I just I like that Dina gets to have that story. She's been very she hasn't had a lot of agency throughout the whole movie and throughout the whole story. Yeah. And I like that she gets to like find that at the end. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the song, Ashley? I love listen. I think 
I can't remember because it's definitely on like Beyonce's album as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like kind of what Steph was saying, that's like maybe one of the only songs in the movie that, not that it doesn't fit, but it doesn't necessarily feel like it's of that time specifically. Yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. if y'all felt that way when y'all saw it. Um, yeah, something about the sound I, of like, it, it just doesn't totally fit in. Even though I kind of love it as a song and she sounds great, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely love mm-hmm. the song. I definitely love the way she performs. And I, I agree that like, I like that she kind of finally gets to like stand up for something because she sort of gets like not pushing around, but she sort of just kind of goes with the flow throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. She has that one stand up during uh, It's All Over, but. She's on the wrong side of history there. So she lets us down. <laughs> and then she kind of finally comes back and, you know, stands for like what Beyonce stands for, like, you know, women in power and like supporting yeah. each other and stuff like that. Which, like we already kind of mentioned, for her being Beyonce, I think that always holds a level of everything whenever she does something. You know what I mean? Because she's just such a like notable person. So mm-hmm. even though obviously she's playing Dana, you're still feeling like, Beyonce, you're gonna let us down like this, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was happy about that. I don't know why, but like I know there are two different scenes, but listen kind of makes me think of that scene where um you go and she's in like the her home theater, like smoking a cigarette and like watching some back, mm-hmm. and she's sort of like seeing her life pass by, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And she's like And seeing the way that they've like retconned Effie out of their life. Yeah. Yeah. It's it seems like she finally realizes like, oh, I haven't done anything about this and I probably yeah. should. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then we get listen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it ties it together really well. Yeah, like story wise and emotional beat wise, it, it 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 fits it actually fits really in it and it gives a nice like it re- like I, I almost don't understand how in the play she doesn't have that moment where she gets to like mm-hmm. self-actualize but so she sings this song and it's like I mean it's like there's one camera just dead on her and she's just singing right down the barrel and there's maybe like one off to the side that they're also just editing in between and so it's like it, it could not be more I mean even even the filmmaking is telling you that this song is a Beyonce vehicle uh, yeah. and then it's just and then, but then I do love that like she's singing the song about how you've tried to hold her back but she's going to be independent she's going to do everything she wants to do and then I'll cut to Jamie Foxx in the booth and he's just like looking at the engineer like hmm? is it? Hey, what's going on she, here? She's talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> no nah, it couldn't be. Like uh yeah she is. <laughs> <laughs> So she leaves Curtis. Um, we There's a shot as she's leaving. Like, her mom comes and helps her pack a bag. And then, like, Curtis walks out into the little front courtyard of their, like, extremely mod Hollywood home. And mm-hmm. their car drives away. And, like, the lighting goes down to be just a spotlight on him. And then even that spotlight, like, closes in and fades. Um, I'm nuts about that, and I know Andy hates it, and I just think that that's very funny. I do hate it. It's like it's so stagecraft and not moviecraft. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it's I, so stagecraft. I love it. I expect him to like take a broom and like sweep the spotlight until it's smaller <laughs> and smaller. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, but <laughs> also there's this movie is lit very well, and like that is mm-hmm. not it's it's lit very well, like for both how performancey and stagey it is. And also for the fact that it has an all black cast and like everyone looks mm-hmm. good. That doesn't always people don't always know how to light black actors very well. I mean, um, that's really and very so true. I yeah. And I like and I love that as sort of a little a little closing nod to like the technical aspects of the movie too. 
And so then we get this farewell performance. It's like, it's literally just a performance at the Detroit theater where the dreams are like, hey, we're done now. We're all going on our own ways. Um, And they sing one final song as the three of them who have been like the famous dreams. And then uh, Dina's like, hey, there are actually four of us. Come on out, Effie. Mm -hmm. And then Effie joins them for... One final edition of Dreamgirls. Sort of a slow, mid-tempo version of of Dreamgirls. Yeah. Title song that, um, I don't know, the song, neither one of these last two songs, like, again, they they don't open strong and they don't close strong to me, but the middle of this movie is really strong. And I'm just talking about from a musical (laughs) perspective, not not from a filmmaking Mm -hmm. or emotional perspective, like... Mm -hmm. From a musical perspective, the, this this song is is not exactly a finale number to me. Um, also, what we haven't talked about is that during this number, Effie is singing it directly to her daughter, uh, Magic, mm-hmm. who's who's in the front row, and you see you see Jamie Fox see Magic from the balcony, mm-hmm. and in in one of the weirdest moves a grown man can do, he then walks all the way around the theater, goes and just stands next to Magic and stares at her for ten to twenty seconds. Um, Does not speak a word. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a such a presumptive jump that he makes, even though he is correct. Yeah, like just to yeah, see a child was, that this yeah. woman is singing to and be like, "That must be my kid." That's my child, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like he like sees her like she looks like she's seven, no, eight years old. Wait a minute, and just like doing his <laughs> equations going around him, and he's yeah. just like, ah. "Okay." It's very Curtis, though. He assumes that everything these girls have ever made is, like, due to his own influence. Yeah. So why wouldn't the kid be his? Or, yeah. So then we, we watched the Oscars performance uh, right before we started, and it's they do all three songs as a medley, and it's Beyonce and uh, Anika and Jennifer Hudson. And then when it's time to do Patience, uh, you can tell Eddie Murphy said, no, thank you. And uh, <laughs> Keith Robinson, CC, sings it instead. Who knows? Maybe maybe if Eddie would have sung that night, he would have won, won the Oscar. Uh, do you guys know that there's like kind of a theory about why he didn't win the Oscar is that another movie came out with Eddie Murphy uh, around late 2006, early 2007, and it's called Norbit? Oh. And That's people, another family favorite of ours. People were just like, one. you can't yeah. make Norbit. Yeah. <laughs> There, there was a worry that, like, it would be rewarding, you know, like, rewarding sort of bottom-of-the-barrel stuff by giving him an Oscar in that moment. I don't think that's real. I think I think people do all sorts of stuff. And that Also, and I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, I think Norbit is nominated for an Oscar for Best Makeup. So it's not like they didn't see that movie, you know what I mean? You're so right. Best Makeup and Hairstyling. Holy yeah. shit. So, so it, was, it was for your consideration. <laughs> That's very interesting. I, I, Rick Baker, wow. Yeah. Now, is Norbit a serious movie like Dreamgirls? No. Is Norbit freaking hilarious? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I was going to say, like, I don't hate the idea of people, like, rewarding the kind of movies that we enjoy watching. Right. Yeah, You're allowed to have like multitudes. Yeah. yeah, for yeah. sure. It's just yeah. a different type of, even, even a different type of comedy and regular comedy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think. Like, look at, you know. Look at Halle Berry. She was in all sorts of great movies before she won her Oscar. And ever since then, she's chosen to do not a single good movie. Well, having gotten to the end of the movie, can we just ask you, Ashley, is there anything uh, about this movie that we didn't cover that, that you want to get on? I just think about the part when they're like, we are dreaming girls. Like, I love that move. That's something that me and my mom, my sister, I promise you, if anybody starts, the other two just goes. And it's just like... It's just such a, like I said, it's kind of like entrenched into like the culture of my life, <laughs> honestly. Um, yeah. 
yeah, I, I honestly love this movie. I think it has so many different like ways you can watch it. I hope you guys eventually watch it again so you can see other things and like new parts of it that you maybe like didn't notice before because I think that it's a good movie for that too. But yeah, it's just it's a banger, honestly. Now, and, and Ashley, we we know that you don't speak for the uh, entire black community, but I guess my question is is like this movie is sort of in higher regard, like in the black community, right? I mean, is is this movie like yeah, I is this so. beloved by the culture? I think so because it has like a it just has a line of culture in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It speaks to so many different like aspects of the black culture. And I think it just kind of goes up there to me, at least with like the whiz and, mm-hmm. you know, movies like that or like plays like that just because, and I remember somebody once asked me like, have you seen the whiz? And I was like, I'm black. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I would see the whiz like when I was a kid, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was a child with my family going to see the Wiz scared as hell with the flying monkeys and all that type of stuff. But, you know, those <laughs> things, like, even both of them having, like, um, original movies and then, like, remakes, too, mm-hmm. I think. It just it speaks to how, like, in our culture, like, a lot of things are reset or re-explained because they get, like, melded over. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. it has to be... a like renewed and it has to be spoken about again because I remember I mean I graduated college in like 2018 or something like that and in one of those college years I was singing a song and somebody was like oh don't you know like this version of it like it was the original and I'm like no it's not it's sampling the song made by a black person you know what I mean (laughs) and it's just so pivotal that you know like stuff like that happens every single day and it's assumed like the white version of it is the original version and it's not mm-hmm. you know and so I think yeah. like that's why those movies and like Cadillac Workers is what that is so important because it's talking about the truth you know what I mean and like yeah. the fact that you know those things don't win Oscars and stuff like that at the end of the day it doesn't matter to be honest because like once again you know the reason why and then um secondly just it gives black characters the and actors the option to speak our truth you know what yeah. i mean so i think that's why we love it so much because it's like oh my god finally we're saying it in plain view mm-hmm. you know what i mean there may be a lot of literary and musical elements to it but at the end of the day like it's in plain view it's telling you right there what they have right. to go through to get the songs you know even out there and then once it, they did get out there how they got snatched away and stuff like that you know what i mean so yeah I can't say that like people love it as much as I do, but I definitely think that it's like a cultural movie for sure. Hell yeah. Also, in my mind, the song that that person played for you that you were like, no, that's not the original version was that cover of Cadillac Car. Oh my gosh. It was... Um... <laughs> like, you gotta hear this. <sighs> Got me a oh Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac. Also, yeah. I do love I do love the Wiz. That, guy from, that kid from the Campbell Connection is so good as the Scarecrow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's sort of go through our last few segments here by, by means of uh, wrapping up. And the first segment we're doing is uh, we've started a playlist, Ashley, for every movie that we've mm-hmm. done. And uh, each one of us, each one of the three of us, there's, this is not a vote scenario. You have the ultimate power to push any song from this movie onto a playlist for our listeners. What do you pick? So, so between picking I Am Changing, Dream Girls, the, or One Night Only, The Dance Mix, Mm. or it's all over okay and i feel like i have to do it's all over because it really melts like 
even when you're listening to it, like you can envision it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like you envision the scene with like all the different people singing and like yeah. So I have to. I, I think I would have to say that because I think that would push people to say, "Let me let me go watch this movie really yeah. quick." So I, I mean, it won't be quick, but <laughs> yeah. Steph, what is yours? I came into it thinking that it was going to be "Love You, I Do." because it's just such a like it's like it feels like drinking like a nice cold glass of water like it's just like refreshing mm-hmm. um but i i think i actually i'm gonna go with one night only the disco version wow yes. it is just because i like we were talking before we rewatched about like what are the songs from dream girls that like are in your head and i mm-hmm. Other than, like, and I'm telling you, and the Tiff Schiller Dream Girls, I was like, I know that there's music there that I really loved, and I can't, like, name it. And then as soon as the soul for version started, I was like, nope, never mind, it's this one. It's, the, like, and sometimes it just, like, pops into my head, because it's, yeah. it's a bop. I, um, I mean, so I'll, well, I'll, 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 I'll sort of, I think it would be disingenuous if we didn't have And I'm Telling You on there, and I think, I, I think I'll pick that as mine. Hey, true believers, it's Anadonic Andy here coming in to change my pick because it's my podcast and I'm allowed to do that. I'm putting Listen by Beyonce on the No Skips playlist because it's a banger of a breakaway pop hit and I can't believe that it didn't win the Oscar. I've been listening to it a lot. It's not so much a dream girl song, but it's a fucking great Beyonce song. All right, let's, let's go quickly to our next segment here. Uh, and this is, a segment, this is a new segment, actually. is our second time doing it. Okay. Uh, uh, and this is called R slash You Serious. And this is a segment where uh, <laughs> I have tried to find a insane post on Reddit about the movie. Okay? Okay. And this is the best I could do this week. But um, this is from the Broadway subreddit, R slash Broadway, posted by a user named Ill Investigator. Subject, is it okay to perform Dream Girls as a different race? Here's the post. I'm in a theater club at my school, and the club leaders want us to perform Dream Girls. I'll admit I didn't know what the play was about, but it sounded cool. But when I got home, I saw a lot of the cast were mainly Black people, and we're Filipino. I tried to explain it to a friend who's close to the leaders and ask if we were really okay to perform this. I then got screenshots of the leader being pissed and asking, like, acting like I was accusing them of racism, saying that theater is a place where we can play literal cats. I explained that this wasn't me accusing them. I was just concerned, especially because the majority didn't didn't know either and that we were only shown the songs, to which she responded that I'm the only one acting like this. I feel bad for stressing them out and was wondering if it was okay. I'm just going to start by saying that if your justification compares a race of humans to cats, we're not not going in the right direction, friend. That threw me off because it seems like you want you coming from a good place of curiosity well you know what that did to the cat Amen. then again it killed the cat so <laughs> it, it, it gives me that you know like you said it goes like am i being respectful to black people well i mean i could play a cat just as much as i could play a black, a black person right <laughs> yeah i think we found scarlett johansson's reddit username <laughs> um <laughs> confusing <laughs> such a such a wild question and this, by the way this is not i found multiple posts where someone was asking this exact same question about dream girls and i don't know i think sort of there was this the, the consensus in the comments was like hey if you're doing like a showcase where you're doing one song or something like that's one thing but like if you're doing a whole play which is actually like pretty importantly about the black experience in the 60s and 70s like, and even pretty importantly about like the ways that the black experience was uh subsumed into 
white culture at the time mm-hmm. against its will. Yeah, it's a great point. It's not uh, feeling comfortable. It's giving it icky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's giving yeah. icky. Um. Well, hopefully this person figured it out before auditioning for Filipino Effie. Um, all right, this is our this is our final segment, and it's just a, a simple uh, rating. I'm going to ask you to rate this movie. I'm going to ask both of you guys and myself to to rate this movie. Uh, give it three ratings out of five stars, uh, and I'm going to ask you to rate it as a movie, as a musical, and we're going to do as a music industry film. So as a film about the music industry. Um, so three separate ratings. And I'll go first because I think mine's going to be easy. I'm going four stars across the board, which is pretty, which is the highest rating I think I've given. I think I gave Mean Girls four stars only as a musical or maybe as both, but it's, it's the highest I've gone so far. I think that's, this is a, a really formidable film and uh, really put together well, like sort of has an Oppenheimer effect where like at the beginning and also kind of a hamilton thing where like you know how at the beginning of hamilton the rap is like very my name is hamilton and i came to say or whatever it's like very basic and then by the time you're into mm-hmm. act two like the rapping's a little bit like this has a similar thing where like the songs are so basic to begin with that that's what worried me in the beginning but then by the second act which you know in the movies is we call it the third act um it's it's uh it's different and it's like everything is hitting emotionally everything is hitting as a song uh, very impressed with so much of the execution of this movie. I go four stars as a movie, as a musical, and as a music industry movie. Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go four stars as a movie, four point five as a musical, and five as a music industry wow. because I think that yeah. it really like I I think it does such a good job of capturing like the feelings of the music industry, like in a way. And, like, the the feelings of all of these people who are trying to navigate this space and, like, facing tension in that. And I feel like we really understand all of their motivations, even when it's, like, something that we don't necessarily agree with or, like, wouldn't do. Um, like, we're still, like, no, but I see, like, why you're hustling the particular way that you're hustling or, like, why yeah. you've been put in this position. Um, and that I it's really impressive to me that they, like so successfully captured that um and then yeah my 4.5 for a musical is i think the reason the ways that it like goes back and forth between diegetic like we are watching people perform on a stage and Mm -hmm. we are watching them be people and i i just feel like it like flows between those in a way that other performances and other movies would be really would feel really jarring but this one is just sort of like hell yeah i'm on the, i'm on this ride it always justifies it yeah yeah, yeah. i think i'll probably have to say 4.5 for the movie and then five for the other two nice. and to be honest the only reason i would even give it a 4.5 for the movie is just because i wish there were certain elements that were maybe like delved into a little bit more and I specifically with like magic and like Jamie Foxx's mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. and like I said earlier with just like Effie never um saying like I'm pregnant you know what I mean I just think and I think this is just kind of like a thing in movies in general you don't have the time to talk about every single thing so mm-hmm. some things do kind of have to be a little bit more implied or like glossed over um or just like smaller like parts of it but just from like my perspective, like having my relationship with my father is just so important to me that I like obviously will wish it for any kid, especially any young girl. So 
seeing that, I'm just like, you know, in the scenes where she was like, you know, in the welfare office and stuff like that. And like, um, they're like, is, is her dad willing to be involved? And she's like, she doesn't have a dad. And it's like, mm. she does. She does. Huh. You're just like, he doesn't know he has a daughter. You know what I mean? He doesn't get that opportunity. So I By think, the way, he's got a lot of money. He has a lot of money. She doesn't <laughs> need to be struggling the way she yeah. is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's just, that is a point of frustration for me in the movie. But regardless of that, I love the movie. So. Well, that brings us out to about an average, uh, basically about a 4.5, which is the highest uh, score we've had for a movie since we implemented the scoring system. So I think we all recommend you you revisit this one if you haven't seen it since 2006 or watch it for the first time. I think it's kind of timeless, which almost no movie made in the aughts feels timeless. But I think this <laughs> this feels, uh-huh. feels pretty timeless. And uh, in terms of Ashley... Um, not having enough time to talk about everything. I don't think that's anything that someone would accuse us of today. Uh, I think we've <laughs> used all of our time and talked about just about every aspect of this movie. Um, and so uh, uh, let me just ask uh, you guys, before we get out of here, what you would like to plug. I already mentioned our, our Patreon uh, that people should check out patreon.com slash dumb fun. And I also mentioned that you can come to the laugh factory if you're in Chicago on March 3rd and come see the roast of the Oscars where I will be playing, uh, J Robert Oppenheimer. And, um, uh, that's, that's it. I have, I have other live shows, but just follow me at Andy's Aster on Instagram. Uh, Ashley, what do you got? Yeah, honestly, I will probably just do a plug for your own self care. Um, and your own well-being putting yourself first that was like it's not really one of my resolutions for this year but it's just like my phase of this year I, I keep making a joke that I'm in even really before me and Steph talked about like us talking on this podcast about dream girls I had said to my friends like this is the part of my like movie where my character is like about to be on the brink of something really good and so it, uh-huh. might, it might seem a little struggle bus type of type of feelings <laughs> right now but you know that's okay and and just that Throughout my life, I, I, I'm one of five and I have three younger siblings. So for me, I'm always thinking, like, is what I'm doing going to help or hurt the next person? And right now in my life, I, you know, lovingly am not thinking about other people. So if you can do that, think about yourself and don't hurt. Do no harm, but, you know, take care of yourself. That's that's what I'll say. Don't be a Curtis. Yeah, don't be a Curtis <laughs> if you can. If you can. But, you know, somebody has to be the villain. If it's you maybe it's your chance that's right be an act mm-hmm. two effie look out for yourself try to improve <laughs> that kind of thing um yeah ashley yeah. thank you so much for for being here and joining us to talk about this movie today i, I love how much it means to you and how much you love it and i appreciate you sharing that with us um Absolutely. and uh for the listener we, we've never done this before but we are th- this is not it we are literally closing our computer on this zoom and heading right to go see our next movie on the podcast in it's uh limited re-release in theaters so i'll go ahead and we haven't been able to tell uh the listener our last few movies because we haven't always known but we know that our next movie is going to be 2013 <laughs> les miserables uh, so we will finally get into the russell crowe of it all on our next episode uh be on the lookout for that and uh um and by the way, when this comes out, you can probably still catch Les Mis in its in theatrical release. It's still out for another couple of days in the beautiful Dolby theaters, wherever you are in your town. And uh, uh, I think I think that's it, you guys. Thank you for joining us on the the only podcast where people. No wait, I'm gonna start over. Thank you for joining us on the only. I'm leaving all that in. Thank you for joining us on the only <laughs> podcast for people who love musicals and hate musicals. Movie, the musical, the podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.
Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast with Andy and Steph. Fun dumb.